everyone and welcome to this one of our commercial podcasts where today I will be chatting with Nikki Broadhurst who heads up our ESG offering here at SMB. Welcome Nikki. Thank you very much. And um, I suppose the first question and you know not a difficult one I imagine for you but actually what does ESG stand for? That's a very good question you'd be surprised how many people do get it wrong. It stands for environmental, social and governance. So in business context, the E is essentially the environmental criteria. And now that looks at a business's carbon footprint, basically the energy it takes in and discharges and the consequences. Uh, Most people have heard of carbon emissions and climate change, and this is where the E comes in. The S is social criteria. So that looks at the relationships a business has with all of its stakeholders. Um, That's your employees, shareholders, the people and organizations in the community that the business actually interacts with. So basically that's employee relationships, diversity and inclusion, and corporate social responsibility programs. Um, So it's your social impact as a business. And then G is the internal governance of the business itself, its practices, policies, controls and procedures, uh, the way in which a business actually conducts itself and it governs itself and how it complies with the law and meets the needs of its stakeholders. Uh, that, that makes sense now. So it covers more than the um, practice of construction and property, I imagine, maybe employment and commercial contracts? Far more than that, far more. I mean, it really touches on virtually every practice area you can think about and also every industry sector, not just the most obvious polluting ones like, um, you know, oil and gas and mining. I think you ignore ESG now at your peril. Understood. I mean, I've heard of the term greenwashing. You've explained to me what ESG stands for. Any, Any hints as to what greenwashing is then, please? Another huge topic, particularly in the UK um, and the the European Union at the moment. Um, So greenwashing is basically um, where a business makes a misleading claim about their environmental impact uh, or the greenness of their products. And it's a strategic priority of the Competition and Markets Authority now to look at this in the UK. And they issued guidance in the form of the Green Claims Code in 2021 on how to avoid it. And then they announced in September last year that they were going to take enforcement action and they've turned their attention to the first sector, which is retail and fashion. And they've already started investigating certain businesses like ASOS, um, really drilling down into the veracity of the claims that they're making about their products. So I think they're looking to make some examples here. And Ah, that makes sense. And of course, with you being on the uh, retail board for SMB and and heading that up, I can imagine that it's of interest to your clients at present. We are getting a lot of inquiries now from clients that want us to look about look at the claims they're making about their products in any of their ad campaigns, yeah. uh, their marketing, and there is legislation in the pipeline as well, which is going to look at the way in which labels state um, the environmental credentials of their of the products that they're attached to. Wow. So not just the ASA anymore. We need to be mindful of. (laughs) Understood. So I take it that ESG is now part of the procurement process. I mean, what should suppliers be looking out for? ESG is a huge part of the procurement process and it's something you can't just pay lip service to. So companies have to really scrutinise the supply chain that they're in. 
and increasingly whether or not you hit the threshold to publish a modern slavery statement. We're seeing clients that maybe not hit that threshold, but their customers are demanding that they are accountable in the way in which they conduct their operations and source their supplies. So it flows all the way up the supply chain as a result of that. So as part of the procurement process, we're seeing clients now adopt far more robust strategies about onboarding their suppliers. And that will mean either imposing additional contractual commitments on their suppliers to report to them, to yeah. allow rights of inspection of the factory, the premises, and also the better use of software. So a lot of uh, IT providers out there will provide some software which will allow suppliers to go in and report directly as to the origins of their products and provide a traceability to what they're doing. Yes, so that makes sense. It's not just lip service to the RFP with a with a, a document that suggests you do it. You actually now have to account for audit clauses, rights of reporting or requirements to report and, and actually have something concrete in place. Would that be fair? Yes, I think that's right. And it's interesting, even as law firms now, when we're responding to RFPs, we're being asked to um, give far more information about what our ESG policies are, and particularly what our diversity, equality and inclusion uh, policies yeah. are and how we treat our staff. And I think it's just going to become commonplace now. Yeah, it's interesting, actually, because um, just on the face of it, you imagine that it, it it's about construction and and real estate, but but you're right, it really does expand onto employment and 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 on corporate governance and, and onto you know the corporate requirements as well. I can see that. I suppose just turning it round from the procurement process as a purchaser, is there anything specific to putting contracts? I mean, what are we seeing in practice? And I know what our standard documents do. <laughs> Well, we put in the regulatory clauses um, that deal with modern slavery and, and trying to mitigate the risk that your supplier may, may not be addressing that in the appropriate way. But we are starting to see far more clauses creeping in now, which are seeking to measure the carbon emissions of the supplier, for example. And this will be where the client themselves have an ESG strategy with a net zero carbon target that they wish to achieve. And therefore they want to use suppliers in their supply chain that um, can contribute to that and not hinder it. So we'll see clauses being included now that will A, want accountability on what the supplier's carbon footprint is, and B, will allow the customer to actually switch suppliers if they can't meet the green criteria of the customer, which I think is quite a powerful tool um, and quite a radical step. But as I say, I think those will become more and more commonplace. It's like a termination clause, really, but um, hidden, silent and behind the scenes, in a, hidden in an ESG mm -hmm. kind of scenario. Uh, I've even seen financing documents now which have been linked to ESG targets. So I think that's something that's, that's becoming more commonplace. When we're looking at the sectors where you see ESG really being adopted far more than before, it's going to be in the finance sector, both in terms of disclosures that are being made and being forced to be made under legislation, um, and also green loans. And that's typically loans that are being provided with criteria based against sustainable development criteria that the, the the borrower needs to meet and if they meet it then they get attractive loan rates they get reductions exactly uh, yes yeah. yes and i think it's that in itself is going to drive behavioral change 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, we've heard that there may be some useful legal resources. Obviously, in our MSAs and our standard T's and C's, we're all now thinking about what to do dependent on each individual um, ESG policy of that particular business. Um, are there any useful legal resources such as clauses available? There are, and I think one of the most relevant toolkits that I've come across is the toolkit that's been produced by the Chancery Lane Project. And this is a group of like-minded lawyers, judges, and legal professionals who have got together through hackathons, you know, legal drafting hackathons, to come up with draft template clauses. And they have preferred clauses in almost every industry sector. So there's something there for property lawyers, corporate lawyers, um, and they give you a starting point. It's up to you to obviously uh, tailor it, but it's an extremely interesting document to read. And I, I would recommend anyone to look at that if they're genuinely interested in, in including some, some clauses. Well, I know we as a team have looked at them and picked our favourites. So, um, yeah, that, that's something for people to go away and a takeaway, really. And then maybe just to round up, any top tips when approaching contracts from an ESG perspective? I think my top tips are firstly, consider what your customers want, because you have to be authentic as a business to maintain customer loyalty. And to be authentic, you need to make sure that you have your own policies and processes in place. You're not just paying lip service to this. You have to consider what your own ESG targets are and what's right for you as a business. So is it going to be reducing your carbon footprint as quickly as possible? Or is it going to be more about the social impact that you have in a sector? And then you need to make sure that you're addressing that robustly throughout the entire supply chain. So do you have a supplier's code of ethics, for example, that someone signs up to? And you've got to make sure that any demands that are being placed on you by your customer, if those are targets, that those are being backed up throughout the supply chain. And my final top tip is don't ignore ESG. We've already seen the first threat of litigation against directors personally for failing to implement their ESG strategy uh, with the Shell case, which is being brought by client Earth. So there is a personal liability as well as a corporate responsibility issue here. Well, on that note, I want to thank you, Nikki. That has been really edifying, even for uh, a commercial lawyer such as myself. And uh, I'm sure those listeners who have tuned in will find it really useful. I'm going to go away and reread the Chancery Lane project. <laughs> it's, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Thank you.